take us through the week that Jesus had before his crucifixion. Because I think there's lessons that we can learn. It's called Passion Week, and uh, there are lessons that we can learn. Certainly things that we can appreciate about Christ, about who he is, how he operated, how he operates, how he connected with the disciples. There's some things in here that, you know, when we look at them and and we notice them, we begin to see what Jesus did. And again, we're reminded of what we read in scriptures there from the book of Hebrews. Richard read that we, we have a Lord and Savior that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And I just think that I have been trying in the last few weeks to help us to have a positive understanding and a positive experience as we come to our annual Lord's Supper service and appreciating the resurrection. We appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus had made for us. So in the book of John, John chapter 12, it kind of gives us a, a rundown of the things, the events, the things that Jesus did in his last week as he came into Jerusalem. And you find it a week filled with emotional highs and lows. And I think, again, we can learn from these things in our everyday life as well. And the lessons that he teaches us in, in this regard. And Jesus is the only one who knew, and what is interesting, what that week held for him. And we have to kind of be reminded of how Jesus operated with the, in terms of Lazarus when Lazarus died. He knew that he was going to resurrect Lazarus. He was going to pray to the Father. Lazarus was going to come forth out of the grave. But in spite of that, uh, he worked with and understood and appreciated the emotions and the feelings of the people around him. So we kind of have to imagine now for a moment, and it's easier for us than it was for his disciples, knowing what Jesus went through. Because you and I have the history of it, but we weren't there. Not like the disciples were, and certainly not like Jesus was there in that moment. And we, So when we recognize Jesus knowing that there were things yet to be done, that he would have to do, knowing what he would have to face in a few days from there, uh, we can begin to recognize and appreciate the price that was paid for the salvation of all mankind. You and I included in that. And moving toward the finish of a great work. While on, it's like running a race, you're near the finish line, you're emotionally and physically exhausted, you would kind of like to give up and quit and, and not have to go any further and wish it were over, but it's not yet. The hardest part is yet to come and the hardest part for Jesus. Now also for us to understand and appreciate, I just want us to mention, mention a couple of things about Jesus in terms of his knowing who he was. And then we'll, we'll, we'll come back to uh, John chapter 12 because this is six days before the Passover and we're going to go through each of those verses in John chapter 12. But let us understand a couple of things about Jesus' understanding of his own self. And that is, first of all, that Jesus knew that he was a good shepherd. 
There, there's no question about that. In fact, that's what he tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, Jesus knew that, but I want us to realize that as well. When we think about who our Lord and Savior is, he is a good shepherd. And here's what he tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He tells us, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus' heart's desire for us. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and run away. So Jesus, again, recognizing that he loved the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he wasn't about to abandon them. Then when the wolf attacks, the flock is scattered. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And the thing about Jesus is that he does care about the sheep. And in this particular week, he's going to demonstrate it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And as Austin was saying, we're connected. Uh, We understand one another, and we're appreciated. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. So it's important for us to recognize when we think about communion, we think about the Lord's Supper, we think about that we aren't the only ones. There are those that have gone on before us, and when we think about a resurrected Lord, we think about the future, we think about connecting with people who are loved ones who have passed away on one hand, and we're connecting with some people that we, we have read about who as again, it was mentioned, have epic stories. You know, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and like the widow and people that we don't know, but their stories are incredible and awesome stories. So he says, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Not only the total connection of what God has in store for us, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. So Jesus is voluntarily doing this of of his own accord. No one takes it from me. And again, we look at a, a shepherd who has volunteered. It isn't that you or I took it from him, but rather that he graciously and kindly gave his life. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I have received to my father. So again, he's talking about the father is laying it down. Now, we, there's another example in the, the book of Matthew, and for the sake of time, we'll It's in your notes in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, where Pilate says to him, Once you not realize I have the power of life and death over you, Jesus, I can crucify you or I can release you. And Jesus said, No, you don't. There's the one who gives power. You don't have that power. You think you're taking my life, but the reality is that I'm laying it down. So we, we see this and we understand it in terms of God's purpose. And the example of what Jesus could have done 
when Peter and the, the, the throngs came to arrest him, and Peter draws out his sword and whacks off the ear of Malachus, and like Jesus said, you know, look, don't do that. Stop that. Heals him, all of that. And he says, you need to realize, I have the power to call legions of angels here. If that were God's will, I would have done that. But this is done that scripture might be fulfilled. So you see Jesus working his way through life in this final week in terms of the scriptures that were prophesied about him and what he would do. So we have a good shepherd who is listening to his father, who loves his sheep. And now let's go take a look at his last week as we think about our week as we move toward a communion with Jesus who's invited us to his table. So we read in John chapter 12 and verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And Mary took a, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Six days to the Passover. And what is Jesus doing? He's spending time with his friends. Now, in spending time with his friends, is he being pitiful? No, he isn't. He isn't being at all. He's having dinner with them. He's talking to Lazarus. And you've got to think about the conversation that Jesus and Lazarus would have had because of being resurrected from the dead, all of those things that are going on. Martha hasn't changed a whole lot. She's still busy serving. But there, Mary, though, really, really impresses me. What is Mary doing at this gathering? Well, Mary is took a pint of ointment. She anoints his feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair. Okay. First of all, Mary does something that none of the apostles that I read of or know of ever did. She washed his feet. I don't read of John, Peter, none of the apostles doing this. But this woman did. Now, I see in this a woman who loved her Lord and Savior. I mean, think about this. Let us think about this. That she anoints his feet with the oil, then her hair, has, however long it is, that she takes his feet, takes her hair, and wipes it off. You know, and in this is, what I think, and let me just say this, I think the fragrance from the love that Mary had for Jesus is far more fragrant than the nard, than the ointment. And when we think about it, brethren, the fragrance, you know, we talk about the prayers of the saints as being incense going up before God. And I think about in that particular week, and even in our week, that we, you and I might have an opportunity, as it were, in our hearts and minds, to express to God, in a way like this, how much that we love Him.
Because, see, we're invited to a dinner. We're invited to the Lord's Supper. And I'm just suggesting all of us would be too embarrassed to do what Mary did, unfortunately. Because I think it's one of the greatest acts of love of a human being toward a Savior. Because who is our Lord and Savior? Jesus is. I mean, we're willing to kneel down and and we've done this in the past historically, wash one another's feet. But like I say, I don't see an example of the apostles. I started to say disciples, but Mary is the disciple of Jesus. And I'm just going to suggest in the in the heart of Jesus as well, that fragrance, the the love, the, the just you know how it, it just was incredible and certainly an incredible expression on her part we find with Mary anointing his feet but at the same time as we go on verse 4 but one of the disciples Judas Iscariot who was later betray him objected so here you have you have this beautiful situation going on and that's the way our weeks sometimes go. We find that we're trying to do something and you get somebody that objects to it. It's, it's a waste of time. In fact, that might be how you or I thought about this when we hear this. Well, that's kind of a waste of time to have that kind of loving expression to Jesus. Let's get on to the meal. Let's get on to the Lord's Supper. It, you know, if we think it's a waste of time, we may be a little bit like Jesus. Why, why, why waste all this precious ointment or our precious emotions or our feelings at this time? He, he said, he objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but he was the keeper of the money bag. And he used to help himself what was put into it. So he was, he was a thief. But you know, oftentimes thieves will do something that leads you off in the other direction, and Judas was that case. He was a man who was saying that, well, we, we could do this good thing. And it really wasn't about that at all. He didn't care about the poor. So Jesus is contending with having Mary, Martha, Lazarus there, and Judas at the same time doing things that are different. And so we... You know, that, that's an emotional up and down when you have someone you're missing and, he, and Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. But notice what Jesus says to Judas. Leave her alone. You know, I love Jesus defending. And I think, brethren, when we think about Jesus interceding for us, and it's like our sins, leave them alone. I have paid the price. Leave them alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for this day for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So there are a couple things going on here. And the one thing I want to bring out to us is about timing. This perfume, he said, was saved for his burial. So this is the proper time. And then this is also the proper time that in the midst, and this is the difficulty that we have, that we have an opportunity to do something good for the Lord on the one hand, and yet you may think, well, we feel guilty because, well, we may need to do something for them. And Jesus said, no, no, you're always going to have the poor with you. Those are, those are the lessons that we learn because people will always make choices that are 
not God-based and people get themselves in all kinds of problems and difficulties and sometimes things do happen, but that is a reality of the world. It is that we always have the poor. So you have all this tension going on at the same time. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found that Jesus was there and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So, even though Jesus is the, should be the center and the focus, not everybody was there for Jesus. There were those who said, we want to see this guy who was rose from the grave and probably almost put him on the same par as Jesus because they had not met somebody who had come back from the grave. Imagine in our world today if we had somebody who was buried for four days and dead for four days and all of that came back. Wow, what a show that would be all around the world that somebody actually did come back from the dead. And then there'd be people saying, well, that's not really true. That really didn't happen, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so the circus would go on in that particular case. But there are people who who were drawn to him because he's raised from dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Here you are in this week. You have Jesus. And you have Lazarus. And you have the chief priests who are busy trying to figure out a way to kill them both. Not just one, but both of them. So when you, when you look at that, you have to recognize that the resurrected Lazarus and the soon-to-be-resurrected Jesus were there together. And here they are then making this death conspiracy, the chief priests and the like. They are jealous religious leaders who have murder on their mind. That's where they are focused at that particular time. So he goes on to tell us, for, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And of course you can't have that. In spite of all the things that Jesus is doing, they, you know, you're going to have people who are going to want to lead you differently in your life, and yet Jesus said, because of what he was doing, they believed in him, but there will always be those people who will try to distract you from that. Then you have the triumphal entry, the Hosanna, the what we call Palm Sunday, and he enters into Jerusalem. And you've got to think about what Jesus is, is thinking. Here are these people, Hosanna, this is the king, you know, his, this is our salvation, this is our rescue. And Jesus knows that these same people, in a few short days, are going to be yelling, crucify him. The same voices go from Hosanna to crucify him. And they're talking about, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus, again, comes in on this donkey's colt, which is, a, uh, again, a fulfillment of the prophecy as well. So you have Jesus there. And we also have in this particular moment, as we go through his, verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had been done these things to him in verse 16. 
this again reminds us that even as we go through life, we don't understand everything, no matter how close that we are to it, and we miss opportunities. Like the disciples missing the opportunity to say, this is my Lord, you know, I'll be more than glad to wash his feet. We know that John says they embraced him, you know, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, and all of that, but you we know example of that. You miss opportunities, you miss opportunities to understand things as well. So when the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from dead, they continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Again, jealousy, religious jealousy, and an unwillingness to follow him. And to learn from him. Now, as we go on, though, it continues because we have Greeks that enter into the picture here. Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. So they asked if they could see them in verse two, among them who went up to worship at the feast. So they're there for the festival. They're there for the Passover service is why they're there. So they came to Philip, who was of Bethsaida in Galilee with a request, sir. They said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And so what is the reply to them? Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, in spite of, and remember we read, for the, what is the joy that is set before him, he endured the cross. He's saying that hour has come when the Son of Man will be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, and the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for, etern it for eternal life. So again, Jesus is reminding them that he must die in that so that something can be produced. And we think about surrendering ourselves to God, you know, dying ourselves and the death, burial, and baptism, and water baptism, and that we come up a new individual for eternal life. This is what God wants us to have. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be my Father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus, again, reminding us that if we are to see Jesus, and then we need to see Jesus in a whole new light. We need to see Jesus that is willing to die for us in order that we may bring forth much fruit. We see Jesus not loving life in this world, but loving people in this world, not the way of the world. We see Jesus in serving in verse 26. And the end result is that the Father will honor the individual who does that. So we see that. And then we also see the recognition as we go into verse 27. We see another aspect of Jesus in this. My, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I need to say? Um, because when he, we ask it as a question, as opposed to a statement, um, it, it comes across differently. As you say, save me from this hour, well, what should I say? Save me, which means that's what you'd want to say. That's what people, that's what Peter was saying that you ought to say. He says, no, rather, 
It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That Jesus never lost focus of the reason and the purpose for why he had come and that the time had come. I think that we can learn things in this regard as well. We also have, it isn't an easy situation. We have troubled souls. We say, well, you know, how in the world can I get through life? How can I manage things? It is for this hour. And we realize that God has brought us, all of us, to this particular hour. You know, when Austin was talking about having the opportunity to go to the Converge and the like, and, it, and thanking you for all making it possible for him, it is about God making it possible for all of us, for Austin to go, for us to be able to help and contribute, because, it, again, it is about the connectivity that we have with God and what God is doing. And we have a connection with Christ that is very important for us all to understand. So then Jesus, though, and has an appreciation for how our hearts can be heavily burdened. You think, I don't know how in the world I'll survive all these difficulties. How that I will bear my cross and whatever. So then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And the crowd was there. They heard it. And they said it thunders. Others said it was an angel that spoken. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. We think, oh my. No, Jesus already had a connection with the Father, but we also have to hear from time to time. And it's for our benefit. Now is the time of judgment on the world, for the prince of the world will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Jesus also knows in this time, in his sacrifice, that Satan no longer, in this crucifixion, in his death, burial, and resurrection, Satan is totally disqualified. And there's, there's a certain joy you have to recognize in finally overcoming death, overcoming Satan, overcoming the world, and bringing life to us. And as a result of that, Jesus says, I will draw all men to me. Verse 32 through 34. So, it, it, again, he says, I'll draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. That he was going to be put on a stake, raised above the earth, that he would be crucified. So he reminds us of that. And he also reminds us, again, of the fact of Scripture. The scriptural arguments and the understanding that people have because they understand it differently. And that's why what the crowd said to him, verse 34, spoke up. Well, we've heard from the law that Christ will remain forever. So how can this? you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? In our life, and as we go through, we think we have a good handle on Scripture. And we think we, we understand things. And God just does things that boggle our mind. And we don't always follow his logic. How is it that you're going to draw all men to me, and yet you're going to die? And this is the way that I understand Scripture. Brethren, if there's any, one of the things that we can learn about Christ, about communion, about the Lord's Supper, is that what Jesus says is true. It trumps everything else. Anybody who's a card player, and you've got the, you know, the ace of trumps, that's Jesus. And Jesus tells us what is truly factual and the way it is. And that he will draw us to him. So when we think about coming to the Lord's table, 
when we think about being drawn to God, here's a couple of things that we think about this week. No one can come to Christ except the Father draws him. And we think, wow, God is involved in this drawing. Number two, when Jesus is lifted up, he draws all men to him. Now, so let me ask you, why Mary could do what she did in anointing his feet and wiping with his hair. That, I mean, in our work, that is quite an expression of adoring love. Because Jesus drew her to him. Why could Lazarus sit at the table with him and talk with him? Because Jesus draws them. Why could John say what he did? You know, we've handled the Lord and all of that because Jesus draws us to him. Why can we feel the way we feel, have the hope, the encouragement that we have because Jesus draws us? In this week, as we walk through this week, I hope that we all can be drawn to the Lord's table. We have an invitation. We have a communion with God which is a relational communion with God that we celebrate that the Lord has made possible for each and every one of us. And so then he goes on to remind us all that he is the light and he is the truth. Verse 35 and verse 36. Jesus, you're going to have light just a little while longer. Walk while you have light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. And when he had finished speaking this, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, this is quite an interesting story. It's kind of like Jesus talking about light, and for us, it's easier for us to understand. He's standing by the light switch and says, you know, when I'm gone, it's going to be dark, and then flip, the light switch. It's like, whoa, what happened? But it's also about Jesus. It's like, you know, I need a break. I need a break. Or for us, maybe where we think, you know, God, I'm just going to spend some private time with you. Not hiding ourselves from God, but just enjoying the presence of God and recognizing that he is the light of our life and that he has called us also to be lights. And so, again, we talk about the example and how Jesus walked this week before his crucifixion, how he treated people, and, of course, we can, we're not going to discuss it today, but how he treated people in his crucifixion while he was on the cross and the things that we learned from that. Then we go on from verse 37 through 43. It's a week of unbelieving and unbelievable events because Jesus reminds us uh, through the prophecy here in verse 37 Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And he says, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because, as Isaiah says, everywhere, elsewhere rather, he has blinded their eyes, he has deafened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their heart nor turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at another, at the same time, many even among the elders believed in him, but because the Pharisees would not confess their faith, 
for fear that they would be put in, out of the synagogues, for they love praise of men more than the praise of God. This coming week, you're going to hear things from different people, different ways, about resurrection, Jesus. There is no Jesus. There is no resurrection. There is no God. There is no hope. Live life. Do all of that. That's it. You know, we're just uh, sinners, or there is no sin, or whatever. We believe there is a God. There is a Lord Jesus. We believe in Him and what He has done. And what He has done is unbelievable. But we believe because God has given us the faith to believe in Him. And so we, we find ourselves like they did in societal pressure, the Pharisees. And because of that, they couldn't confess Jesus. And, and I'm thinking about our week is we confess that He lived, He died, He was buried, He was resurrected. We have a relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us. He lives in our lives. He lives in our hearts, which is very hard for people to understand. And the life that we now live, it is Christ who is living his life in us. And then verses 44 through 50, Jesus speaks to who has sent him. And he's saying, look, I'm telling you these things. They're, they are words from the Father. He tells me what to say. He tells me what to say, and I say what he has told me to say. So for us, for this week, I'd just like to read you something that the Father told Jesus to say and that Jesus said from his heart, his own words. John chapter 8, or rather John chapter 15, verse 8. Here's what the Father told Jesus to say. And this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's the start of our week. We started with Mary anointing the Lord's feet. We find Jesus laying down his life for his friends. This was the week that was. And our week, brethren, is one of celebrating the greatest love of all of our lives, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And our invitation is to come to his table and to enjoy communion with him. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the example that he sets. He loves us through thick and thin, ups and downs. He draws us, Father. Thank you for drawing us to him, and he drawing us to himself as well. We thank you for all these blessings, and we pray that our week, Father, can be a week of incredible passion and love for our Lord. To your glory and praise, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling the blues today, or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. 
We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.